Good evening, everyone. This is Lee, the appraiser from Amazing Appraising from the world-famous APR 57 Gallery here in New York City. First of all, let's just say hello to everyone. We haven't talked in a week or so. And welcome back to our show. We're getting a lot of comments, emails, texts, and phone calls about uh, our show and about questions and about how most people find it entertaining and um, informative. And today we're going to be talking uh, about a couple different things. And I want to start off by saying we had a couple people come in this week. I don't know if everyone's aware of it, but the collectible market is booming. Baseball cards are booming. Everything in, I mean, Michael Jordan items are going crazy. So we're getting a lot of requests for appraising and buying these type of items. And some people are looking to sell them. So we want to talk about a couple things today. One is how to authenticate, verify, and appraise some memorabilia. Specifically, we're going to be talking about baseballs today. So what I have here is a 1953 Brooklyn Dodgers signed baseball. One can see that it says here, right on the cover, it says Official National League, Major League Baseball. This one was done by, printed by Spaldines, the company here. This is called the actual sweet spot of the baseball. That means it's in the middle where here you have the imprint of the Major League Baseball and a copy of a facsimile of the uh, commissioner's signature. But the other open spot on the ball is called the sweet spot. And that one is signed by typically either the best player on the team, the star, or in this case, the manager, who was the general of the team. And this was Chuck Dressen who signed it. The ball has some, what we call, it's a little shiny. So it's slightly what they call shellac, which protects the signatures. It was probably blue, but it faded to slightly green. And they're all consistent. They're all quite good condition. Um, just to throw some names here, we have Pee Wee Reese here. We have, of course, Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, who was their great catcher, who was uh, paralyzed in a car accident, Carl Erskine, mm-hmm. all the great players. Gil Hodgers, who went on to be the Mets manager in 1969, brought him to the, managed him to the World Series. So we have all the great players of the team here, uh, Duke Snyder, Billy Cock, Carl Ferrillo, all of them. So one of the ways today we're going to be talking about is how to, how to determine if the signatures are genuine and if they are genuine then what year figure out when it was signed we look for a couple different things when i evaluate this one obviously as i've been doing this for 35 years so i'm pretty experienced in the way the signatures look so you want to look at the proper flow of the signature they're obviously different meaning that they don't appear to be done by the same person typically they were done with the same pen because if the ball is handed around to different players the players are not going to be accustomed to having a pen in their pocket when they're playing baseball so it would be handed around typically with a pen and the ball so experience will tell me what to look for in the signature the way they cross their t's and dot their i's right the flow of the signature you know i i always like to equate it with when you were a kid and you were supposed to copy something whether whatever it was if you're supposed to copy something think about it what you did was you would take your pen and if you were tracing something or writing it you would do it in a very very slow motion so it would be done slow you would typically not see the complete flow you would see jagged marks while you're signing it so you want to look for a complete flow meaning that it wasn't done in a slow straight fashion 
where you'll see sort of jagged uh, uh, drawings on it. That's, that's what I typically look for. You compare the signatures. Now, what you have to be careful with some of the baseballs is you have to remember if somebody asked for a ball to be signed by the Yankee team, and even if the owner of the team said here, uh, he told the, b the ball boy before the game, he said, Joey, do me a favor, uh, get this ball signed by the team, I'm giving it to a friend of mine in the business, a good friend of mine, he wants to give it to his kid. So if in fact he did that, the problem was, here you have Mickey Mantle in the batting cage or in center field, that little ball boy Joey, who at that time maybe might have been 15 or 18 years old, is not going to bother Mickey Mantle to have him sign it. So what he did was, he may have most of the other players sign it, but the superstars, the Joe DiMaggio, the Mickey Mantle, the Whitey Fords, those guys are not going to want to be disturbed, and the bulk boy doesn't want to disturb him. So what he did was, when he has a lot of time on his hands, he would practice their signatures. The term of that is called clubhouse balls, and those signatures are done typically by the ball boy. Now, not all of them, but typically it's just the stars. So the other players would sign it as he would have no problem asking them. The ball boy just would not request to ask them, so that went from there. Now, this ball purportedly was done in 1953. How do we determine what year? How do we figure out what year this ball was signed? We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back, and I'll continue on that subject. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Buccellati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. Okay, we're back here talking about how to appraise a baseball that's about 70 years old and how to determine what year it was done and what players are on the team when it was done. So to determine the year, you have to go with the understanding that every year, typically, there's about 30 players on the team, on the roster. You have managers and coaches. Some of them sign, some of them don't, but the players typically sign. The way you figure out the year is the first thing you do is I would look for the sweet spot. So the sweet spot in most cases is going to have the manager's signature on it, in this case Chuck Dressen. So in this case you can go and say, okay, you can look up and see when Chuck Dressen was the manager of the team, in this case the Brooklyn Dodgers. My assistant Larissa just looked this up and she said that he was the manager of the team from 1951 to 53. So now you know that it is from one of those three years. Now secondly, what we want to do is we want to look at the ball, we look at a couple players, and you see when they played. Dressen managed from 51 to 53. So the simplest thing to do is you look on the, the signatures and then you see what player may have been on the roster then and what player may have been on the roster a certain year and he's not on the ball. Basically what you want to do is you want to look at the ball and you want to say what player was on the team say in 52 
that wasn't on 53, and what player was on the ball on 53 that w may have been not on 54. So then you could then verify that the ball was actually signed in 53. So after looking at this closely, we found out that there's a pitcher by the name of Joe Lundgren who was on the team, he pitched on the team in 1950 and 1952, and he is conspicuously missing on this ball. So you know that if he's not on the ball, it couldn't have been 50 or 52, so it had to be a different year. In 54, there was a player by the name of Don Hoke, and he's not on the ball either. Based on that, since neither of those two players are on it, the only rational opinion now is that it was 53 because that was the only year that Dressen was the manager of which neither of those two players were on it. So we came to the conclusion it's a 53 Brooklyn Dodger team signed ball with many of the great signatures. I'll just go over them here. Included is Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, of course the manager Chuck Dressen, Joe Black, Billy Cox, Walter Bellardi, Rube Walker, Bobby Morgan, Ben Wade, Clen Labine, Preacher Rowe, Gil Hodges, Roy Campanella, Jim Hughes, Carl Erskine, Bob Gilliam, Carl Ferrillo, George Shuba, Walter Giles, who was the president of the NL, his signature is imprinted there, Billy Lowe's, Don Thompson, and Russ Meyer, along with several others. So you have a combination close to about uh, 30 signatures on this ball, and we would estimate the value to be in what we would call very fine condition to be between three and $5,000. This is two years before they won the championship. There was a ball player by the name of Don Hoke. He was on the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1954. He was a tough ball player and he shared third base with Jackie Robinson and Billy Cox. And in 1955, the Dodgers won their very first world championship against the New York Yankees in seven games. He played third base in the seventh game of the World Series. And that's the only time that Jackie Robinson did not play in his career when his team was in the World Series. So Hope, after that season, he was traded, I think, to the Chicago Cubs. And he went on to have a, uh, a decent career in 1957, he was leading the league in hitting and uh, was averaging, uh, he was batting over 400 for the first part of the season. Um, I did not know a lot about him, but an interesting story, what happened was about 20 years ago, so I guess about in 2000 or so, a uh, woman came into my store to uh, have us appraise and sell us some jewelry. And her name was, I believe it was Jill Coria, an older woman, but extremely attractive young lady. She looked like a former Miss USA. And it turns <laughs> out, she tells me, that she was one of the very first musketeers as a very young girl. And she went on to be a successful uh, actress, a model. And uh, she's telling me the story that she was the wife and widow of this baseball player who was on the Brooklyn Dodgers. I said, who? And she said, Don Hoke. And she tells me this story about him, which was just amazing. So they got married, I think it was in 1961, she said. Then Hoke went on to play in a couple other teams. And when he retired about 1965 or so, he became a broadcaster for the very prominent organization, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who had a manager by the name of Danny Murtaugh. He helped them win a World Series, 61 or so, I think is when they won the World Series. They actually beat the Brooklyn Dodgers, I think it was in 55. They won the 60 World Series with Bill Mazeroski's most famous home run in Game 7. 
Murto was their manager for several years, and he resigned after the 67 season, primarily because of medical reasons. He was very sick, mm -hmm. and he subsequently later, when he came back, he uh, managed until World Series in 71 as well, with Stargell and Manny Sanguin. The story goes that when he, resi when he resigned in 67 for medical reasons, Don Hoke thought he was going to be the next manager, and he was almost assured they called him, they told him he was going to be the manager. They were just waiting for clearance and everything like that. And what happened was they basically told him, again, that he was going to be the uh, takeover as a new manager for the team. What happened was the last minute, um, Murta called back and said he wanted to remanage the team. So Don Hope was basically heartbroken. He was driving in his car when he heard the news on the radio purportedly that they have rehired Danny Murtaugh and it, mm -hmm. he lost his position. He basically had a heart attack in the car, caused him to die. His wife claims that he died primarily of a broken heart, that that was his goal. And that is what his wife Jill told us in person. It was like a crazy story. That's just a little known fact of mm -hmm. his ex-Brooklyn Dodger, who was a great player in his own right, and basically died of a broken heart by having his goal of being a manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates taken away from him. I just wanted to share that story. We'll be right back in just a minute. Do you have a car that you may want to sell for the highest immediate cash price with the absolute best and most convenient service available? APR 57 is New York City's leading buyer of all collectibles of art, jewelry, watches, antiques, as well as used or vintage cars. If you have any used or pre-owned cars that you want to sell immediately for the highest cash prices and be treated like the valued client you are, call or text us at 212-246-2000. Be sure to bring your vehicle to our new 4,000 square foot gallery on the corner of Broadway and 57th Street for a final inspection and a very high cash offer and payment. So call or text us today at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000. Remember, APR 57 is the go-to place for getting the highest cash price for your valuables such as rare watches, diamonds, gold jewelry, gold and silver coins, sterling flatware, Tiffany items, stamp collections, sports cards, memorabilia, fine art, Judaica, as well as used cars in any condition. So drive in or stop by West 57th and Broadway to get the highest and fairest cash offer on the spot. Free snacks and drinks while you wait. The appraiser back here talking from Amazing Appraising APR 57 Gallery here. And we're talking another episode of What's Hot and What's Not. Sports memorabilia, baseball cards, right up on the very, very top of the list. A lot of collectors collect anything with memorabilia. Some of them collect specifically items, for example, jerseys and uniforms that are signed or game worn. Some of these jerseys have fetched over a million dollars, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig specifically. Yeah. And they have a thing which is called photo matching now. So the question is, if somebody comes in here and shows us a jersey and they say, here, I got this from Babe Ruth. He told me he wore it during the 1933 season. It might, you know, It's unlikely that they got it directly from him, but they might say their father or grandfather got it. So the question is, how do we authenticate this today? You know what? I mean, it's nice for them to say that, but you know, if we're looking to buy or appraise that, or sell it to another collector, we have to have proof that in fact, what they say is 100% accurate. In today's world, they have a thing that, of course, that you can authenticate in somewhat the jersey, but more specifically, if it's game worn, they are able to, with the advent of research and the internet and videos, 
they can actually substantiate whether the jersey was actually game worn, mm -hmm. meaning there was a situation, and there, I, they actually do have some dispute. Jason Pierre-Paul, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, the ex-giant who blew off his fingers in a firecracker accident a couple of years ago, he was the one that was involved in this, where he has a jersey of his hanging in his house, and somebody else claims, hey, wait a second, that's not the jersey you won in the Super Bowl. I have the jersey you won in the Super Bowl. And that guy is claiming that I think he had it authenticated by one of these grading services. And they, the way they were able to authenticate it is that they see certain stains on the jersey that they showed him, and they match the stains of the jersey that he wore in the Super Bowl, meaning that when they take close-ups, of the jersey in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, they had the exact same markings and tags that appeared during the Super Bowl. So if there was a smudge, for example, on the lower right corner of his number, let's just say his number was 78, so on the lower right corner of the eight, there is a scratch there, there's a, uh, a dirt stain right there, that is one way that they can match it. If there was a stretch or a tear on the top left, they can do that as well. So they're actually um, uh, validating and certifying these jerseys now with what you would call, uh, I guess the best way to equate it would be like FBI um, <laughs> DNA uh, evidence that these were in fact the items that were worn purportedly during that game. So, and they can do that also, it's more difficult with old time uniforms in baseball because mm -hmm. of the fact you don't have the video footage and all the photographs at that time that are available to make the clear, complete connections as you do today. But um, just keep that in mind. So if anyone has, by the way, any baseballs that they want verified, authenticated, or appraised, any uniforms or other sports memorabilia, they want to have verified, authenticated, and appraised, please contact us, and we'll be happy to do that for you and give you an appraisal, a certification, evaluation, authenticity, and most importantly, a very high cash offer. In, in fact, you want to sell it, or if you just need an insurance appraisal to have it insured and protected with your current policies. So if you guys have any additional questions about these type of things, please let us know and we'll be happy to respond immediately and call us. Maybe even we'll take a call during the show for you if you'd like. Okay, we'll be right back with another message from our sponsors. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, Oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigat, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800- 054. This is Lee the Appraiser back for another segment of Amazing Appraising. So now we're going to talk about authenticity in general about certain items. 
So a lot of people out there know that if you are to buy a diamond, it will come with a certificate of authenticity that the diamond is genuine, the ring is genuine, the stone, it'll typically have the carat weight, the color, the clarity, the size, all these beautiful things. And based on those criteria, one can determine the value of the item. So what we're going to be discussing a little here is the fact that just as important it is to have a good certificate of the items that you have, it's important, it's just as important, maybe more important to know who is issuing the certificate. The certificate itself is not necessarily going to carry any weight unless it comes from somebody who is credible or a company that's credible. So with each area of collectibles, there are certain experts or groups or societies that do carry weight and their opinion is credible. And at the same token, just like you have opinions that are credible, you are at the same token gonna have opinions that are not credible. So that person, society, group will not be considered as an authentic certificate some of them will fall into complete area of false certificates or fakes others will fall into the category they're 100 percent good no matter what and then there's other categories in the middle somewhere that they might be a small company that or a small an individual where sometimes his opinion is valid and sometimes it isn't but usually it's one way or the other either considered good or not typically in the industry so when somebody says they have a certificate on something the first thing that we want to acknowledge is who is the certificate from. But we're gonna go over a couple different areas of collectibles. Typically, it's logical to assume that every area of collectibles will have their standard group of uh, experts who the industry generally will rely on as being the ultimate authority as far as certifying them, as well as, so there's two issues of the certificates and authentication. One is you want to authenticate that the item is genuine, and the other typically is authenticating the fact that what the condition is, right? We talked about coins, for example, right? So if you have a coin that is authenticated, that's part one of the equation. The other part of the equation, and just as important, is the condition. Because if you're buying it as, let's just say it's graded as min state 65. So the coin scale typically goes from, on the low part, five to 10 numerical condition valuation. So five or 10 would be good or fair. And then it goes up to very fine 20 and the extra fine, I think it's 30 and extremely fine, or uh, that would be extra fine. And then maybe almost uncirculated, which is typically a 50, and then min state would be generally considered AU, which is almost uncirculated, that would be like 58, 55 to 58, and then min state, which is the first degree of mint condition. Mint comes from the word, that would start from uh, number 60, min state 60, and then it goes up to min state 70. Min state 70 is considered the highest grade one could obtain in a regular coin. Uh, rare coins, typically older rare coins, in many cases, they don't even have a coin that's ever been graded by one of the major societies in that condition because if it's 100 years old, it's very possible a coin was never graded that because it doesn't exist. So typically the highest grade that one might be able to obtain is a six, MS65 or an MS66. And the word comes from mint state. And what does mint state mean? Well, typically it comes from the fact that with coins, the mints were the companies or the, the process 
which they were manufactured through. So they were uh, manufactured through, let's just say, the United States Mint. So the term mint comes from that process, typically. And mint condition would mean that as they issued the coin, it is in the exact same condition as it left the mint, meaning that that is the condition. It's basically never been touched, never been handled, has no wear on it, no rubbing, nothing, no scratches. So that would be a mint state coin. Typically, if the coin has never been in circulation, it would be graded mint state. Now, the degree of mint state, meaning you could have a coin that could be a mint state 60 that's never been touched. And how does that happen? Well, you'd think it would be for sure a 70, but that's not necessarily the case. So if the government in 1890 made a bag of 1890 silver dollars, and they made a bag of a 1,000 of them, typically the bags were a 1,000 coins in the bag, and they sealed that bag. If that bag was lugged around, handled, and stuff like that, even though nobody handled the coins individually, those coins, although they wouldn't be touched by human hands, they would be constantly rubbing and hitting against each other. So they could typically have some wear, have scratches, have heavy marks on them. Even though they've never been in circulation and handled by private hands, they could typically be a mint state 60, 61, 62, and not get the high grade of 70 because they've been lugged around in those bags for all those years. Whereas if somebody purchased that bag, buried it in the backyard, put it in their safe deposit box and never touched the bag and had them move, they would typically be in the higher range of MS 67, 68, and 69, and perhaps 70. That's the information that we're going to go with coins. I think we're going to take just a short break, and we'll be right back after this commercial announcement. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigat, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even been broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-00 this is Lee the Appraiser back for another segment of Amazing Appraising. We were talking about what makes things rare, what makes things valuable in general. Specifically, we were talking about diamonds and now we were talking about rare coins. So we just went through the grading process of rare coins. So let me just mention. So the uh, two or three, what we will say, most accepted grading companies in the coin business and the coin industry again as i said every industry is going to have their quote expert grading and authentication companies with coins typically it's pcgs which is called for the professional coin grading service their major office is located in california there's another one called ngc which is numismatic guarantee services their main office is in florida and then you have what's called annex which is american numismatic association that is the 
group, the largest group of coin collectors in the world. They belong to what's called the American Numismatic Association. Those three are considered the three most accepted coin grading services, and typically one would pay anywhere from 25 to 100 hours a coin to have them sent to these companies, and the companies would typically authenticate the coins, seal them in a heavy plastic case, and then put a holograms on them with the description and grade of the coins. And then you would have, by all consensus, a coin that is now unanimously accepted by the coin collecting and dealer community as being this specific grade, authentic. It could be, like we were talking about, an 18... 90 silver dollar and uh, it would be it might be graded ms66 and this was all done so the dealers would be limited by the amount they would know the item is authentic if somebody came into them to, to sell it they would know the item is authentic and how it would grade if they're selling it so this way the collectors would have the confidence in knowing what they're buying and it would help the overall market substantially so that is what the accepted procedure is in coins we were talking about diamonds recently so diamonds are typically the accepted authority is called the gia the gemological association of america there's a couple other firms that do this as well i believe uh, ugl egl and a couple others some are slightly more liberal with their grading than others they do what's also called laser inscription now on some of the coins where they on the girdle that means the widest part of the stone those some cases if you request laser inscribe a number on there for you to authenticate the item with the certificate um you want to have some proof that not only does the certificate grade and authenticate whatever the item may be but you want to prove that that item that you are showing is exactly the item that you are getting meaning that the certificate somehow or another is connected with the item in question. If somebody shows you a Mickey Mantle baseball and they have three of them in one certificate, it's only logical that there is some way to determine which of the three baseballs came with the certificate that authenticated it. Because if there's no way of doing that, you're gonna be in a difficult position to know which one might be authentic, which one did the company actually authenticate, and which two perhaps they did not see for whatever reason. So it's possible that only one of the three have the certificate and are genuine, so you want to have some way. So typically with the baseballs, they will apply a hologram, they'll have a card, a hologram, a letter, that will say that it belonged to this baseball, this one here. They'll have a picture of that baseball. Sometimes the signatures are slightly different. Sometimes there's a spot. You know, we're trained to look and see the slight differences. Like in every coin, there'll be a little scratch perhaps, a little defect here, bang there, mark here. Typically it's the same with diamonds. People, the layman might not understand that, but all diamonds typically have their own, quote, fingerprints. So they might have a little what's called a feather, inclusion, mark, scratch, you know, at the lower right corner. So typically that should be on the photograph of the certificate as well. We're here to answer any questions you have. If you're interested, you have anything that you wish to sell or appraise, you want to ask more questions about that, please feel free to call us. If you want to do it in person, you can call us and make an appointment. We have a gallery here located 57th Street and Broadway, uh, 5,000 square feet. We're typically open six days a week. We're happy to discuss that with you at any time you wish at your convenience.
We want everyone to tune in. We're going to have a, another segment of our show after this break. Very famous and well-known contemporary artist is going to be our guest, so we want everyone to stick around for that. And then after our segment, we all want you to stick around and listen to the preeminent Jewish radio announcer. His show, Talkline, is going to be hosted by Mr. Zev Brenner, who's a good friend of mine for the last probably 30 years. Do you have a car that you may want to sell for the highest immediate cash price with the absolute best and most convenient service available? APR 57 is New York City's leading buyer of all collectibles of art, jewelry, watches, antiques, as well as used or vintage cars. If you have any used or pre-owned cars that you want to sell immediately for the highest cash prices and be treated like the valued client you are, call or text us at 212-246-2000. Be sure to bring your vehicle to our new 4,000 square foot gallery on the corner of Broadway and 57th Street for a final inspection and a very verified high cash offer and payment. So call or text us today at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000. Remember, APR 57 is the go-to place for getting the highest cash price for your valuables such as rare watches, diamonds, gold jewelry, gold and silver coins, sterling flatware, Tiffany items, stamp collections, sports cards, memorabilia, fine art, Judaica, as well as used cars in any condition. So drive in or stop by West 57th and Broadway to get the highest and fairest cash offer on the spot. Free snacks and drinks while you wait. Hey everybody, it's Lee the Appraiser and we're back again for another episode of Amazing Appraising. Very special guest Neil Kerman here in our New York studio and he's back again this week for another episode of Amazing Appraising. Neil is an artist, a businessman, and he also has, I think he left the nursing home field a number of years ago through a very unusual story where he had uh, some space and he put up some artwork and he got into basically painting and uh, therapeutic art uh, through running his nursing home. And now I believe he's a full-time artist and he's retired from the nursing home business. So we're going to get back to Neil and his partner and friend Abe Shainberg, a partner in crime. And uh, so let's see here, Neil. Um, Tell us, you mentioned that you were working on a special project in Brazil, I guess it was. Can you tell us a little more about that? Um, one of the programs I did in Sao Paulo, now remember, again, we're talking about going into nursing homes. Not everyone has Alzheimer's. Not everybody has right. uh, dementia. You have different right. uh Patients or residents that have different sicknesses, some have, illness, some and everything. Just have physical illness. So right. one of the programs that I've done, and we have it on video, is I dressed in a white slacks, white um, gown, and a white hat, and I allowed the patients to paint me with their hands. And you'd be surprised to paint an image of you, or actually paint you. Paint on me. Paint Paint the clothing. Paint the clothing. Oh my God! That could be pretty. uh, Well, well. So (laughs) that's that's another uh, Rodney Dangerfield joke. You know that. He said, like, the, you know, when he goes on the subway, if it wasn't for pickpockets, he'd have no sex life at all. <laughs> but that's another story. Jackie Mason going to the, uh, the Homeland Security, getting on a plane. But it's, look, it's close. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to me, um, <laughs> what it does is you'd be surprised the response. Like, people suddenly wake up. Now, what I say wake up, we're not talking about from Alzheimer's necessarily. And we're going into nursing homes a little bit. We're really here for the art. But sometimes it can be very boring in a nursing home. 
if the recreation activities are not doing things that are exciting or stimulating, then if they're sitting back and all of a sudden someone comes in with someone exciting and the staff says they never saw anything like that, the reason is is because they never offered anything like that. You have to be able to offer it to try to get those responses. I do a lot of that through art. But art isn't everything. It could be done through music. You could play songs from years ago and suddenly patients are starting to uh, Mm. Music is amazing. I've seen that with my, uh, one of my relatives. Yes, unbelievable. Just showing different colors. uh, That's part of art, but it's a separate therapy. But like music is like embedded in the brain from Music can take you back to a place in a split second. It could take you back to the place, and this is important to understand, if you have music in your system. I am not musically inclined. So if you sang Row, Row Your Boat, it would do something for me. But going back to Elvis Presley or any of that, I never listened to the music. I never heard the music. But if, in fact, you had a connection with a a specific song 50 years ago and you played that song, it will hit you and for me it might not but for some of the residents it might okay it's a very personal right. but it's okay. not only music thing. some people could get it from smells from baking right. so you bake in the smelling you smell a perfume or something right. like there that they go again we have a you know in uh hebrew there's someone called rashi and someone called taisvis <laughs> they are both commentaries on the basic uh text so I have Abe Schoenberg is Rashi yeah. and Lee is Taisvis. Who is his grand- those are his grandchildren. Yeah. And um, uh, Katerina is Uncleus. Katerina is Uncleus. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know you were Uncleus. <laughs> That's just another commentary. <laughs> in fact, there was a famous wine. You know, there's a famous wine called Rashi. You know, and yeah, yeah. Right. Well, what, yes. do, you remember, do you remember what their slogan is? You know, Rashi, everyone else's everyone commentary. Else's commentary right? <laughs> uh, very cute. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the art, can I answer some questions for art of you? Or, uh, Ooh. Yes. Okay. He's called the abstract chemist. So I do have, um, I have a cousin that was an actor and uh, he passed away. And one day we were invited to, we were at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And Clive Davis invited us to a show. So we met him in the lobby and my cousin and I get into this long white limousine. And he said, do you mind if I pick someone up on the way? I said, no. He picks up this guy and we're talking and I asked him what he does. He said he's in the music field. And I said, oh, very nice. I'm in the nursing home business. And I was talking to him about nursing homes. And we get to the show. We're sitting at, I think it was called the Greek Amphitheater in Los Angeles. And the guest was uh, who was singing was Barry Manlow. And everybody's yelling, Barry, Barry, Barry. And Barry comes out on stage and people are What time, screaming. what year was this about, just roughly? 1977, that was, 78. That was when he was top of the world, right? And he was on top of the world. And he says, thank you, thank you. He says, does everyone here know me? And they're going, Barry, Barry, Barry. And he says, would you believe I just rode in a limousine here with someone and someone asked me what I do? And they're going, who? And all of a sudden you see these, the lights are going where and all that. And it's on top. Um, so um, I've had great experiences. He used um, to write, what, the songs that made the whole world sing, right? Right, right. And he used <laughs> to do jingles, I think, also. He did That's for, how we started in he advertising. He started with advertising. Right, right. He was, he was a, wasn't he the backup singer for Bette Midler? Sort of, was, uh, I was think that? he... I thought he wrote the jingles for her, He, right? he did for something backup for her, for Bette, you know? 
right. Yeah. He was he was really. Uh, he's, a, he's a New Jersey boy who from New York City, right? I mean, I think so. I don't know where he's from. He used to live here in the city. My my sister used yeah. to go to his house. Sure. Like all these girls would go there Sunday morning, try to. Tiny meet him Tim over there. lived in my building. Oh uh, really? Tiny, uh, Tiny Tim. Tiptoe through the tulips. Tiptoe through the tulips. Right. He was married on the John Johnny Carson, Carson show to Miss uh, Vicky. I just remember yeah. from uh, laughing. What a crazy guy! <laughs> he was very famous. <laughs> famous for for what? So I really I really do enjoy painting, um, and. Anything else? Any, uh, uh, let's see here. Isn't there you had a, another famous, uh, you have a famous relative in your blood here? You have yichus, right. no? Tell us okay. about your yichus. Um, my mother and Howard Stern's mother are first cousins, and Howard Stern and I are second cousins. And um, he is an amazing performer. He builds up a tremendous career talking about hard workers. Um, I remember the story when he wanted um, an interview with Bob Hope, I believe it was, and he called up into the hotel room. I don't know if it was he or Sammy Davis Jr. that was in a bathtub, but he was interviewing one of them from bathtub, and he kept pushing, and he became one of the top interviewers in the world. The way he is able wow. to get responses from people, and what he does in his interviewing, and he makes a lot of people happy, he makes a lot of people laugh. Not everyone loves him, and that's how I do visualize my art. He's probably the best interviewer ever, and Lee is like number three or four. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's how I visualize art. Mm -hmm. Art makes people happy. doesn't make everybody happy. Not everybody um, loves my work. Some people ask me when they see some of my work, what were you on when you painted these things? Um, and what do you tell them? I tell them. <laughs> he was riding happiness. Rashi. <laughs> Rashi. I said, it's not the 60s anymore. Okay, we're going to stop now and just take another short break. We'll be right back. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Buccellati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. Hey everybody, it's Lee the Appraiser and we're back again for another episode of Amazing Appraising. Very special guest, Neil Kerman, here in our New York studio and he's back again this week for another episode of Amazing Appraising. One thing that's interesting also, if we go back a little bit, we went to the ophthalmologist and we were trying to understand why people see things differently through the glasses when I can't see it. And there is a possibility. 3D glasses. 3D glasses, thank you. And there is a possibility that I am painting that way in the 3D mode that people are seeing. So I remember the first time we discovered this, my wife is going, wow, look at that. And then other people in the gallery are going, whoa. And I put on the glasses and it looked just like my painting. Right. 
So that's exciting. Um, that's interesting. It is interesting. It was also interesting, which is an experiment I'm going to do now in the nursing homes, is to try to have rooms that are calming effects. And mm, some of our paintings with the that. black lights light up. So you could have a painting or two lit up in a very quiet, calm room. Okay. And they could visualize this painting and just relax with it. It's a very relaxing, mm. um, I'll show you some pictures very of that. Very meditative. Very meditative. Like, um, like a therapy, actually. Like uh, back to therapy. We're into well, therapy. Well, that word is there. Yeah. you feel you're sitting in right. the sea. By the way, Neil Neil's work is compared to uh, Sam uh, Francis and Paul Jenkins uh, when he sells at auctions, various auctions. And he almost got a painting into Phillips, by the way. It was missed out by one painting. But we'll get you in there. And and they're c combined together. Of course, they get more money right now. But Neil get you know gets half the money that they do. People love his work. And, and he's not scared of color. You see a joy, a vitality, and an energy like a Sam Francis and Paul Jenkins. So there's a million, you know, abstract artists. But how many are, like, taken with joy and happiness and people come into the gallery and I've seen people I was there you know many times before COVID they don't want to leave the gallery literally wow. and, it, and it's that joyful energy that uh, Neil possesses and, and creates with that's the, that's the difference so I really I, I really enjoy traveling around the world you meet other artists um, you meet people that come over and admire your work. They share techniques, and I am able to share my techniques with them. In Rio de Janeiro, we went to major shows, and it's really nice when people want to buy my stuff, and sometimes people will say, wow, I don't like that, and um, that's part of the business. Right. It's like I once went into a clothing store, and I asked the... Um, owner of the store, I said, how do you sell these ties? Who would buy them? He says, what you don't like is money to me. People, there is something for everyone. So let me ask you this here. Yes. What would, well, I don't know, but what would you recommend to uh, somebody that feels they have a burning desire to possibly paint or express themselves is there a specific course of action that you think they should follow should they just go and get a brush and some paint and that's start? the answer go get into the paint store buy the canvas buy the brush try different mm -hmm. techniques and when you have something that you think you'd like to sell and is sellable i always say to someone why don't you print up a picture on a postcard it's not expensive send out a hundred postcards to different um, architects, designers, and see if they like your work. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to respond eventually, and it's not an expensive way. Not everybody can right. afford to it, and go with your gut feeling. Um, uh, let me just uh, uh, add to that. So we're actually, our gallery is actually located on 57th and Broadway, and we're located directly across the street from the Art Student League. The Art Student League, which is the oldest and most established art school, I believe, in the entire world. I think they were started in the 1700s or so. And some of the greatest artists in the world have taken courses and graduated there. So um, that's a place that people may want to just uh, knock on the door and... Uh, you know, maybe go online, and I know they've been giving classes throughout the pandemic. So, if you guys have that, or girls have that itch that you want to have scratched and look a little more into art and classes, that's some place to go. 
But uh, that's true about the Art Students League. I actually went there for one course. Not my thing. I, I, I like to do watercolors. And how did I get there? Like Neil started, he, he, it's, it's a process. You have to find out what you like to do. And he's great at using acrylic, and he paints. He doesn't, he doesn't throw acrylic at the canvas like a lot of them do. He actually paints it like a real artist. I, I've evolved into it. I, I studied oil painting and acrylic. I like the fast drying effect of watercolor. Let's say you want to know how to paint. Oil painting, you used to have Bob Ross. Now you can get, catch him on a lot of TV shows. But that's not really painting. You learn how to put paint on a canvas. But that's not really learning how to be an artist. You want to learn anything today. Go on YouTube, say watercolor classes, oil classes, acrylic classes, in every mode. And you'll get beginner, intermediary, yeah. a, a fantastic, you can see the greatest artists uh, perform. Not all of them. You, you're, you, you can't see Neil actually painting, but you can see his works. You can see many, many videos, and it's free. I think that's a very important lesson for everyone out there. Now is the time, especially people have time on their hands, unfortunately. This is the time that you should take advantage of it, right? I agree, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. If you want to do it in the beginning, go for the cheaper paint. See what you could explore, what you enjoy doing. They have canvases that are much cheaper. It doesn't have to be the thickest canvases. And play around with what you're doing. It's just, um, and have fun with it. Go with your feelings. People ask me, how do you start the day if you're doing it? Sometimes I'll just go into the paint room, which I have, and I'll look at colors. And sometimes one color hits me, and perhaps it's because of my mood that day, and that's how I'll start. Try diluting your paint. Try diluting it to see what effects you have with that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mix an oil with an acrylic and see what effect you could get from that. I mean, I used to draw as a kid. I was very, <laughs> my family says autistic. I say artistic. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I used to be a very, you know, I used to draw quite a bit in elementary school. And I just remember in class, I mean, this is a very true story. I went to Manhattan Day School. We had an exceptionally bright class. I was probably one of the least bright kids in the class. And I remember three of the kids, including myself, were very good artists. Two were exceptional. When we, now, we didn't paint. We just drew. So two were exceptional. One was amazing. I just tried to put myself in perspective. I said, listen, there's no way I can do this as a living. I got two guys in my one class <laughs> in, in, a Jewish, in a Jewish day school that they're considerably better than me. They were just so superior to me. And one of them, actually, I stopped by his house two years ago. But he became a very successful architect. His name was Chaim Gross. I guess my question is, what form, you you know, you're strictly a painter. A, a pa artist, artist. Artist, artist. Be only you're because right. when you say painter, someone right. says, could you do my house and give me an estimate? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you something also. When I went to shows, People asked me, what do I do? And I said, oh, I'm a nursing home administrator. And the galleries were getting upset with me. And they said, no, you have to say artist. artist. Yeah. It was a very difficult transition, to, transition for me to go to the well, word Because artist. it sounds also like a little egotistical, a little, it, right? It, it does, but I'm an artist. he's a very good artist. Maybe and I'm just egotistical. It, no, no. <laughs> there is a possibility that I am there egotistical. A million people could do the same painting right. it won't look that great but your paintings look great. i told you right from the beginning but that doesn't mean the other it. people's paintings yeah. won't sell no because right. other people yeah. if they pursue it and they try it and they go after it mm -hmm. their work could sell but let's no, get but back but to your my, question. my question is this assuming somebody wants to get involved in art 
they want to express themselves. How do they decide? I mean, you go to the art student. Like, yeah. They have a million different courses. You could they take do. watercolor. Yes. You could yes. take sculpture. You could take drawing. You could take charcoal. How do you know which you one should so, you so feel a, the best to start Okay, at? so I mentor a lot of um, younger people. And many times I'll say, what do you think I should do? I'll say, why don't you just look at different things? If something hits your eye, then go volunteer in that place. Say, can I work in your place for free? See if you enjoy it. Absolutely. See if you like it. And if they do, they might pursue it. Some people have might have great talents, but they wind up in other areas right. in doing it. They're making these choices. If you put your mind to go after it and to do it, I'm not saying it's going to be successful. Not everybody is going to. Um, not everyone's well, going to be the best success. architect. Is, is it only money, or are you happy with what you're doing? So, what is success to you? You see, I used to be a lawyer, but now I'm a plumber's assistant. I make <laughs> twice as much money. I do. So, oh, you just like to flush it. I just love flushing. Yes. <laughs> I should live in but, flushing. Uh, oh, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> but oh, anyway, boy. no. To really, uh, Cindy, who picks the guests for the show? <laughs> I do. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, for anyone out there that really wants to pursue a career, go to different classes, speak to these art teachers, ask them how they could how you could become more successful. Ask them what they feel your talents are at. But it doesn't mean they're right. Do you know how many actors were told, oh, you have no talent, forget Tons. it, don't even Tons. do it? So many. Tons. So many. <laughs> so what can I tell you? I like um, Lee's beard, but if Katarina had that same beard, no way. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I do an interview with every week, oh. and it's, it really is enjoyable. What a world we've interviewed. Does Howard Stern give you any tips? No. I, I don't see Howard. I saw him a couple of times at family uh, affairs and everything. Yeah. Um, we knew each other. I mean, I know him. I know his parents very well. Um, yeah. Uh, Ray and Ben. They're still alive. I believe so. Wow. I'm not sure. Wow. I, I'm not sure. Well, how old is he? How old is he? How old is Howard is younger than me. He's so seven. I would say 67, He's 68. The same mm -hmm. I thought he was younger. People think I'm younger, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's younger than me. Neil's timeless. Timeless, right. But anyway, listen, you're right. Why are you doing interviews? If you really want to be a successful interviewer, even to get to number two or number one, you would do it more often and you wouldn't be running the gallery on 57th Street, APR. Um, 57. To, uh, 200. Uh, West 57. West 57. <laughs> Next West to the Brooklyn Diner, which, is it open? I didn't say Not you. right now. Oh, excuse me, he's across the street from the art school. That's right. Uh, and Diner, that's more important. And my gallery is in Brooklyn on Avenue M. East 12th Street. Um, East 12th Street across the street from a storage bin. But, what are you? <laughs> but that's... But that storage oh, bin. Landmark. Hold it. Landmark. It is. It was a landmark because that was where the NBC studios used to be, that's and right. um, really? that's yeah, where the show. that's it. where they used to yeah. film the shows in right. Brooklyn. So um, wow. it somewhere in the bricks of the storage unit, you might have an autograph from. Wow. So they took that down years ago, years and ago. Uh, they built a nice storage bin. Are, are you working on anything right now? There. I also created a designed what I call sticks. They're sticks. 78 inches high by 6 inches wide. And the reason that I did that was if people had smaller spaces and they wanted to have art, what tended to happen was people liked it. They were designing walls with these different art sticks. 
one woman in the Hamptons took five or six of our sticks and she made it like pickup sticks and just put them all over in the oh, wall. I so I'm working on a couple of projects with the sticks in people's homes. And many times decorators will call me. They will send me color swatches, what they want in the painting, the colors they want, and I'll take that painting, I'll take those swatches, I'll send them a sample of the colors which to see if they approve it, and as I go through the process, I will show them where I'm at to see if they like that. So um, I'm pretty easy when it comes to that. I enjoy working with architects and designers very much. I don't mind doing custom work um, for the residents. So those are the different projects. Um, also, getting into pastels. There's one family that would like a series of paintings more in the pastels, more in the golds and the uh, pinks and everything. So that isn't my forte. My forte is uh, bright, vivid, Very abstract bold colors, colors, bold colors. So you don't have a favorite color after all these years? Yeah. No. Wow. No. Never and how about you, Abe? What's my, your favorite, my favorite color? color? Believe it or not, is green. I was going to say green. <laughs> I was going to say green. Is, you look like a money person. It's not because of the money. That's like an ugly green. But I like all shades of green, and I make my own greens. Yes. I think nature's greatly overrated, frankly. But if we create our own nature, then you become an artist. Uh -huh. We have the Blasio's new green deal. It's really interesting. I tend to wear a lot of black. And I think a lot of artists wear a lot of black is because you're so busy with so many colors that it's almost a clash. And sometimes I'll oh, put on a blue shirt. Well, you do black. see people, you see a lot of the most creative people in the world wear black. Right. Like like because Steve Jobs would wear always a black, black t-shirt. Black, always yeah. a black t-shirt. A lot of people like that. Anyhow, I think it's about time that we wrap up this episode. Well, it's um, been a pleasure being here. All right, everyone. That was our very special guest artist and businessman and nursing home owner, Mr. Neil Kerman. If you are interested in learning more regarding Neil's work or anything like that, you can contact us directly at our email address, lee at apr57.com, and we'll be happy to answer any additional questions you have. So we're going to sign off now, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back hopefully next Sunday with another very special guest in our studio. You won't want to miss this. So tune in next week for another episode of Amazing Appraising. We're on every Sunday night on WOR Radio 710 on your AM dial. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And hopefully you'll hear from us too shortly. Okay, take care and good night.